Hi, this is Nick from Pinyao. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 6th of May, the first weekend in May. You're here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow and it's a lovely day out there and um, I don't know why you're laughing. Giselle, it is a lovely day, a bit windy, but I, anyway. I think that is why our listeners tune in to get your personal impressions about the weather outside. That's right. It's very, very important. <laughs> and um, look, um, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links and Giselle in a second will tell you how to get in contact with us but on today's program we'll have our usual roundup of news and in the second half of the program we'll um, we'll be having an interview with uh, Catherine Sherry who is from the organization Networking Against Killings in the Philippines and she'll be talking about the brutal uh, war on drugs that uh, President Duterte has unleashed on working class communities in the Philippines. And of course, thank you very much to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting show. And um, that song that we heard before, it was that group called The Circus Something. It, it offended your sensibilities, didn't it, Pierre? Uh, that's right. But I did hear uh, about it because the title was actually uh, Il Figlio della Puttana and it was actually the son of a whore. But that's actually what um, her, the mother was calling the, the son. So um, very interesting, but I didn't hear the rest of the of the song. So anyway, so it, it was the circus somebody it was, people. It was probably the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. I've known Pierre for a very long time, listeners, and uh, he was so utterly offended by the lyrics of this song. I thought, this man who is so far from a feminist is actually offended by some sexist language in music. Oh, you won me over today, Pierre. You really did. Is it time for me to tell our listeners how to get in touch with it us? It is. It is. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms. But you can also ring us on 9663-7277. And there you go. I can recover my position. The the uh, The group is called The Zen Circus and Brian Rich. So that's the group who are singing that song. Anyway, you're listening to Asia Pacific Current here on 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station. And of course, Radiothon is only about a month away. That's so right. put your pennies away. So um, Or dollars. Dollar. We, we, perhaps dollars, your dollars, yes. dollars That's right. Dollars. <laughs> Inflation and everything. That's right. And it's four past nine o'clock, so we better go to our news uh, roundup, which unfortunately contains quite a number of sad items this week. But over to you, Giselle. Well, we will start in Iran where... Uh, 
scores of workers were killed in a coal mine. At least 35 coal miners were killed this week when an explosion ripped through their mine. More miners are still believed to be trapped deeper inside the mine. There is some confusion at how many miners might still be trapped or if there is any chance of them still being alive. This fatal explosion at this mine in Golestan province was thought to have happened due to an inadequate ventilation allowing a dangerous build-up of methane gas. Unfortunately, with independent workers organising severely repressed by the government, thousands of Iranian workers daily face dangerous workplaces. Um, the mining industry, um, particularly in uh, those parts of in the Asian, uh, sorry, the West part of Asia, but also in North Asia as well. So China, we've looked at um, the situation for mining workers there too. One of the most dangerous industries in the world. Of course, this explosion, this particular um, workplace murder was not accidental. Mm. It was certainly avoidable with um, some health and safety practices. That's right, with proper equipment, but proper equipment costs money. There you go. Uh, and the second news, we now go to um, South Korea, where an, an, another unfortunate uh, death of workers would actually happen on May Day. Um, six workers were killed and more than 20 others injured when a crane they were working on collapsed on them. This industrial murder happened at the Samsung Heavy Industry Shipyard on Goji Island. Samsung is the world's third largest shipbuilder and is a vicious anti-union company. All the dead workers were not direct employees of Samsung, but rather hired as subcontractors from different companies. Again, the repression of independent unions and the increasing insecurity of employment leads to unsafe workplaces for workers and terrible disasters like we've just mentioned. An update on that um, hunger strike amongst Palestinian prisoners. The hunger strike that uh, it's actually, in fact, more than 1,500 um, prisoners now. The number keeps growing as prisoners join. There are about 6,500 Palestinian prisoners across Israel. So uh, a lot of people who are standing by to take part in the hunger strike. Um, so it began last month, it began on the 24th of April and it continues amid protests in Palestine um, and there are solidarity actions now right across the world in support of them. For May Day, the hunger strikers released a statement detailing the class nature of the Palestinian protests, issuing a call for solidarity for all workers around the world to take a class conscious stance in support of the hunger strikers. The Democracy and Workers' Rights Centre in Palestine also issued a call to workers globally to support the demands of the hunger strikers. And those demands, a lot of the demands relate to the conditions in prison and access to their families and access to medical treatment. The hunger strike is likely to continue until uh, Al-Nakba Day and um, Israel has already uh, banned that. Events for Al-Nakba will be held throughout the world, including in Melbourne, so check out those details and we'll post them to our website. And um, you can get all those uh, details and um, declarations from our website. And I was just wondering, Giselle, while you were reading that, I thought um, it'd be good if we can get those May Day declaration printed and read out on tomorrow at the May Day rally. Oh, would it just? It would. <laughs> that sounds like a directive right here while we're on air. No, Do I have it, any chance to say no? No, it is <laughs> not fine. a directive. Oh. <laughs> it is actually a, an I, I'm expressing an idea and we can check the, uh, the recording to see whether or not it was a directive or an expression or an idea.
But um, I'm sure the May Day people, uh, committee and people will be very, very um, happy to do that, which, of course, May Day... Anyway, we've got a story in May Day, so we can tell you about it in a so, oh, Giselle, stop shaking your head. Um, anyway, we go back to Iran when on the 1st of May, I May Day, um, Behem uh, Ibrahim Zadeh, an Iranian labor and children rights activist who we've talked about before in this um, program, was finally released from Raji Shah prison. Benham spent almost seven years in jail for the for the crime of attempting to form independent labor organizations. So it's great that he's um, gone out, but it was seven years too late. Um, the day before, another long-time imprisoned labor activist, Ismail Abdi, began a hunger strike. In conjunction with the start of his hunger strike, Ismail released a statement calling for justice for his fellow teachers in Iran. Now, while the situation in Iran continues to be terrible for labor activists, protests against conditions and repression continue. The last year especially has also seen the politicization of many of these strikes as workers direct their anger against the government. And now looking at May Day, the wrap-up from around the region and other parts of the world. This year, once again, workers all around the world march for workers' rights on May Day. In Sweden, May Day specifically targeted the issue of Islamophobia and how this is impacting negatively on women workers. In the Asia-Pacific region, workers had to survive police repression in Turkey. Hundreds of thousands of workers took to the streets in Jakarta, while other major demonstrations and actions took place in Pakistan, India, South Korea, uh, Cambodia, Malaysia and the Philippines. Uh, in Australia, we, there this weekend there will be quite a number of marches, but um, in Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne there were marches on the 1st of May. I also wanted to say that right across the US there were um, some May Day demonstrations, but May Day is slowly becoming contested ground, unfortunately, between us and the fascists. So across um, the United States there were uh, varying kinds of demonstrations, including mobilisations by fascists Mm. against Muslims. That's that's interesting. And actually one of those links uh, looks at uh, the US uh, demonstrations. Um, Oh, we can mention that there's the march tomorrow. Do you want to mention those dates, Giselle? Why don't we finish the news from the region, Pierre? And we'll do announcements when we always do announcements. All right, Giselle. No worries. I stand corrected. (sighs) Anyway, we'll go straight to the next item. He's, he's so oppressed, isn't which he, is listener? The, the next item just refers to the fact that we're going to um, post our website, our activities report from last year. So um, if you want to know exactly um, what we did and how much work we did um, last year, go to our website uh, tomorrow and on Monday and you'll be able to download uh, a short, a brief report detailing all the activities that we did. And finally, looking at the situation in Turkey, the recent referendum in Turkey on whether to expand the powers of the president once again exposed the deep class rifts in Turkish society. The results highlighted the opposition strongholds in the industrialised and urbanised areas of Turkey, as well as the Kurdish southeast. In addition, accusations of irregularities or fraud, quite frankly, were dismissed by the Erdogan government. As expected, after securing victory, the government has restarted its campaign to isolate and weaken any real or perceived opposition. Last week, another 4,000 workers were dismissed and others are continuing to face jail sentences. Um, The crackdown, I know we mentioned it in the May Day story, the crackdown in Turkey around May Day was extraordinary. There were dawn raids the morning of May Day. There were specific bans 
um, on May Day demonstrations. And then um, Taksim Park, which is in, or Taksim Square, which is in Gezi Park, was encircled by fencing. And um, the government withdrew all money from the banks in the CBD um, to prevent workers from being able to access any money or do anything if they all converged on the city. That's right. The situation in Turkey is quite uh, is quite dire, really. But we do have one more story, Giselle. I know you always want to have the last word, but you can't do it right now. Um, on the 3rd of May, it was World Press Freedom Day, and it is a time to remember those who have been killed for doing their job and to call for greater protections for journalists. So far this year, 14 journalists have been killed around the world. The International Federation of Journalists published a report on the 3rd of May detailing how journalists are fighting back against repression, intimidation, censorship and precarious working conditions. In Australia, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance have also put out a similar report on the Australian situation. And of course, um, for local uh, listeners, um, people would know that a major newspaper employer, the Fairfax uh, Group, chose World Press Day to announce widespread uh, retrenchments of the workforce. And that is, and they've actually gone on a seven-day strike, which is um, very good to see. And that is the end of the News Roundup. Giselle, we'll go to a, um, a community announcement and then we'll be back with the interview. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. No more violence! No more violence! No more violence! Hey, this is Nick from Pinar. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It's just um, quarter past nine o'clock here on here on uh, Asia Pacific Currents on your favourite community radio station. Um, about a week ago, or maybe ten days ago, I was fortunate enough to interview Catherine Sherry from the um, Network Against Killings in the Philippines about the ongoing war on drugs um, that President Duterte has unleashed. And um, I think this interview actually um, really uh, explains very well the, the facts that this war has been having on working class communities in the Philippines. From the reports that we are getting here, it seems that Duterte's war on drugs is still very popular, despite around 8,000 people that have been murdered or, or killed in this war. Is it still popular? And if so, why is it so popular among the general Filipino community? I think that's a really good question. Many people here are asking themselves as well. I do think that the popularity is declining or there is a rising opposition to the war on drugs. 
I also think that, I mean, part of the support for a crackdown generally on drugs comes from a deep sense of frustration that there has been many, many years, decades, generations where there has been a, a great sense of impunity in the Philippines. There has There is very deep-seated corruption. Uh, there's a lot of crime. And so I think that there's a there is a general feel that something needs to be done about these things. But I think there's also been very much a manufacture of fear as well, um, that we're living in a climate where social media is incredibly powerful and it, that it has been used by the Duterte camp to manufacture fear. Well, maybe not necessarily manufacture fear, but to amplify it, to make the drug problem in the Philippines seem like it's bigger than it is. And so that helps to drive the support then for very, very draconian measures to defeat the drug problem. We'll examine some of those issues later on in their interviews. But just, again, given there's been so many killings, what effect has this had on the urban, poor, working-class communities in the Philippines? Because most of the murders has been in urban, poor communities. The urban, poor communities in the Philippines are incredibly disempowered anyway. They have, for a very long time, had their rights violated and trodden on with impunity. And I think that this war has kind of exacerbated that. Um, there's a real chilling effect in terms of people being willing to speak out, people being willing to approach the authorities in relation to concerns. The raids in some of the urban poor communities are, are pretty consistent um, and they're pretty terrifying for people who live there. And there has been many, many, many of the families, a vast majority of the families who've had relatives killed uh, in the drug war just won't come forward. They won't even make an initial complaint to the police often. Or if they make the, the initial complaint, then they won't follow that up because they're just terrified. And, of course, this comes on the back of the Philippines has got a history of, of death squads in, its, in the past decades. So... Coming from what you've just said, how do people try to defend themselves and their communities? Look, it's incredibly difficult because the way that people are ending up on lists of supposed drug users or drug offenders is really, really terrifying because basically as soon as, soon as somebody has a grudge against you and they, they say to the local authorities that, you know, that you've got some connection to drugs, your name goes on a list, that gets passed to the police, and then you, you become part of the hit list. Even in cases where people have been involved in drugs and often not necessarily selling them or trafficking them in any way but just using them and they have come forward and surrendered, they've still been killed. So it's really difficult for people to be able to defend themselves at all, actually. And we've seen over the last couple of months how the government has really been working to silence those who are speaking out as well against the drug problem, with particularly in relation to Senator DeLima, who has been one of the most vocal critics against the drug war, and she's had the government manufacture charges against her. She's now in jail facing what are widely claimed to be trumped-up charges um, and, and that's just a very, very clear case of silencing. Of I'm glad that you've uh, raised the issue of the silencing of opponents. And, I mean, the, the case of Delima is really 
only the most high-profile case. But would you say that really a climate of terror or of fear has really developed in the Philippines around this issue now? Whether or not you're, you're targeted individually or whether you want to speak out on these issues? Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that that fear or that terror is mostly affecting those who um, feel that they will be targeted under the drug war or those who want to speak out. I think what is difficult for many people in the mainstream who have nothing to do with drugs and who aren't involved in human rights advocacy, they're often very critical at people who say that there is a climate of fear because they're like, no, no, I feel safer now, which really well, maybe true for them, but isn't true for the whole population. And I think that there is incredible fear, particularly amongst people in urban poor communities, people who are perhaps not valued by the society in the same way as somebody who's got a good job and a nice house and pays their taxes, that they, they really are fearful and that they don't have anywhere that they can go. And, you know, some people have gone tried to go into hiding and that hasn't worked. You know, they've been found and they've been killed. Uh, others have been really quite even even the people who've who haven't been killed but have been forced to surrender are really um, daily having their their rights and their privacy violated being forced to undergo for example participating compulsory zumba classes as a form of rehabilitation and then in relation to advocates who would speak out and norm normally would be very vocal there is definitely a real fear that and I think the Lima is a is very much a case study for everybody as a, a real warning about what can happen to you if you're too vocal. That's right. And if someone as powerful as her can end up in prison, then what do working class poor communities do? On that point, of course, we're talking about the killings, but there's been a total climate of legal impunity for those who've done all these killings. Absolutely. And the president has stated over and over again that there will be impunity, even in another one of the very high-profile cases where a mayor who had been involved in the drug trade and who had surrendered and been arrested and was in jail, and he was essentially executed in his cell by law enforcement agencies. And the president came out and said, even if it's proven to be murder, nobody will go to for it. So it's not only that there isn't action, but there is actually clearly stated government policy of impunity, but there's also rewards and incentives for those who are killing. And so there's been various evidence coming from various different sources saying that police officers are being financially rewarded for their roles in killing people. As we mentioned before, I mean, it does go, really go back into the historical past of the Philippines with having many death squads around. And of course, another effect of this uh, war on drugs is the imprisonment rate. And um, of course, the jails are literally overflowing with people, which will probably create its own social problems down the track. Absolutely. You know, some of the jails are at 2,000% capacity. In one jail in the Philippines recently, it was discovered that there'd been something like 20 to 30 new cases of HIV of, of prisoners who'd come into the jail without HIV and had contracted it within the prison system. So you can just imagine jails in the Philippines are incredibly under-resourced as it is. But if you put that kind of pressure on them and put that number of people in 
that kind of environment, particularly when you're jailing people who have substance abuse problems or addiction, it's absolutely terrifying what that's going to mean for those people and what kind of carry over, you know, long, short-term and long-term effects that's going to have, not only for those people directly involved, but for their families and others connected with the system. Given that globally prisons are often a hotbed of corruption, drug trade, crime, the, the issues will go far into the future for the Philippines. I just want to look now just to finish up, really. We've talked about the, some of the massive problems and the issues. Now, what resistance has come up to this war on drugs? And obviously you're part of the Network Against Killings. Can you explain to us who's involved, what activities are you doing, and what successes have you had? Unfortunately, I think it's too early for us to claim any kind of success. I do think that there is more and more awareness, and I think the Philippine media has, the Philippine and international media have been pretty persistent in continuing the coverage and continuing to report pretty gruesome murders and killings. And I think that has raised public awareness and there is rising resistance. The fact that the Catholic Church is now openly and fairly consistently opposing killings is a really important thing in the Philippine context. The Network Against Killings is an informal network that is working at various different levels in relation to documenting what's going on in relation to the human rights violations, as well as looking at ways of raising general public awareness and also looking at doing training with media practitioners about human rights. As a last question, where do you see the next six, six months and what do you think people outside of the Philippines could do to help these communities who are really in a, in a war situation? I think the next six months are fairly critical. The two priority bills of this administration are aiming to bring back the death penalty and lower the age of criminal responsibility to nine years old and they will both be devastating moves for human rights if they go through. So we're really, really hoping that doesn't happen. And so I guess that what people outside the Philippines can do is to keep up the pressure, to keep... There's various campaigns about about both of those measures. We need a lot more... We need the pressure to be maintained from, from outside of the Philippines. And I think as much as the Philippine government attempts to dismiss what the UN says and what the EU says and what the US says... It does hit home and I think it's hopefully it'll be an incremental process of helping people to understand what the long-term implications of violating rights in this way is because I think people are very frustrated and are looking for short-term solutions without really understanding the implications of undermining the rule of law, the way it's being undermined at the moment in the Philippines. So I think the more that people understand, can hear other voices, that we can try and outnumber the trolls that are attempting to undermine human rights I think the more that the more that we can speak out the more that people in urban poor communities feel that there is an international consensus that what's happening in the Philippines is wrong the more they may be able to find the courage to be able to go and try and file cases against their perpetrators and we can build the groundswell against this war on drugs thank you very much for that Catherine, it's really hard, tough times there, and we certainly wish you and all your colleagues all the best. We hope that the future will get better. Thank you very much, Pierre. 
Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. And you were just listening to an interview with Catherine Cherry from Network Against Killings in the Philippines about the ongoing brutal war against drugs that uh, President Duterte has unleashed. And we're nearly out of time here on Asia Pacific Currents, uh, Giselle. That's right. In the closing minutes of the show, any for all of you Melbourne local listeners, get to the official May Day Committee's May Day Rally tomorrow at 11 o'clock at Trades Hall. So it'll start with a family fun day out the front of Trades Hall and the march will kick off at one o'clock. So get to that tomorrow, Sunday, the 7th of May, outside Trades Hall. And that's all that we've got um, time for this week. We'll be back again next week, won't we, Giselle, to... Oh, she's just smiling. That's all right. Yes, we will be. We will will be be back back. next week, listeners. Of course, coming up next is Palestine Remembered. That's it for me, Giselle Hanna. And Pierre Morrow. And keep tuned to 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.